Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, anyways, the Bible here is good. <laughs> and it's always good. Go to John 8, 32. This is kind of part two uh, to the Easter message. I had said some things last week and had gotten uh, direction in my spirit during the time, but I'd kind of argued with it all week and said last night, I kind of felt like the kid that's dealing with the shape puzzle that's trying to put the, the circle piece in the square peg, you know, and trying to make it fit and it just wasn't working and I said, all right, Lord, yes, we'll just go that direction and, and it fit and it worked and so... Hallelujah. Father, we need your help this morning. Where would we be without you? Your word is light. Your word is revelation. Your word is our help. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. And so, Father, we thank you for the word of God. It is power. You said, Father, that the word of God is sharp. It's powerful, Father God. We thank you. It's got all that we need locked in the ingredients of that word. That word has the ability to change our lives and we thank you for it. We magnify you for it. Thank you for utterance. Thank you for boldness today. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I was just praying that came up in my spirit, you know, thinking about the power of, of the word. And uh, in Mark, well, it's in Mark and Luke and, and a few different places there about the parable of the sower. And it talks about people's lives changing. That, uh, and the way it talks about changing is bringing forth fruit. And it says 30, 60, 100 fold. Well, the, the fruit that comes forth is the change. It's the blessing. It's the heaven on earth. It's the manifestation of God's presence. And so something can cause your life to change, to spring forth, things to be new. And uh, the seed that it's talking about that can cause that fruit to come forth is the Word of God. It's amazing uh, the power that is trapped or locked inside the seed that is, is the Word. I mean, even if you think about a natural seed, and it, it's crazy, you know, when I planted that food plot, I had a big bag of this certain kind of seed, but yet the seeds were just so tiny and so unassuming and just didn't seem like there was much to write home about, but when the right thing was done with the seed, there's power in that seed, and it causes a change that you can't get without it. And it's, it's amazing to me the lack of, well, it's the devil, he's a deceiver, you know, the lack of revelation of the power of the word. How do I know that? Because I know that there's people's lives within our churches they need changes. They need fruit to spring forth. But yet, you know, there'll be times that uh, three, four, five, six weeks go by. I don't see people, but they need change. They're desiring change. They're hungry for change. They're blaming God because the changes are coming. They're blaming life because the change is coming. And the power's in the Word. And the power's in the Word. And so I want to encourage all of us to, to receive that Word, you know, I was talking with somebody last night after service in my office and they had gotten a word from the Holy Ghost through me months back and they're seeing it come to pass in their life. Well, they told me what they did with that word. They took that word, put that word on their phone, confess that word, speak that word, meditate that word every day. Well, Jesus said, the measure that you meet, it'll be measured back to you. And if you're casual with the word, and don't do the right thing with the word, it won't produce what's supposed to produce. Same, same, same way with just a natural seed. You can leave it just laying around and not do nothing with it, and it'll just sit in that bag and do nothing. It's for the taking, is what I'm trying to say. Amen? And so we need to have a revelation. So be, be a person that's hungry for the word of God. Be a person that when the word time comes, that's not, okay, let's set our stopwatch, hope he gets done. Let's, okay, let's think about, no, no. The measure you meet the word, the measure will be back to you. And so if you're hungry, you receive that seed. You put that seed to play in your life. You put that seed in your mouth. You put that seed to work in your life. You will see changes, amen? Praise God. And so John 8, 32, uh, kind of continuing, I want to read this verse here. Uh, and remember last week we talked about identifying with Christ and that Christ is the word, right? A lot of people are confused in life. I just saw this, saw this today or this week. And again, 
I'm not trying to talk social and politics and things here. I'm a pre preacher of truth, amen? And, you know, when it comes to things like What's the definition of marriage? I get my definition from the Bible. What's the definition of a man and a woman? I get my definition, what God said, from the Bible. What's my feeling on abortion? My feeling is, what does God think about it? Amen? What's my feeling on this? What does God say about it? Right? I am identifying with the word, right? And same thing goes with identifying with, my, with, with, with finances. What do my finances say? What do my body say? And I saw someone this week who... The way God had it put out, you know, and biologically, they're female. It's no doubt about it, you know. And, but they said this statement. I guess I'd never even heard some of these terms before. They said, I'm non-binary. They said, I, I don't even, I just don't feel like a woman anymore. Well, I'm not saying that's not true, that they don't feel that way. And I'm not saying there's not deception there. And I'm not saying there's not pressure and oppression and things in life. And I'm not, I'm not denying that that's their truth, that they feel that way. But my God, if we live by our feelings in the world. Come on. Come on. Amen. And people get confused because they go by their feelings. Right? People get confused because they feel a certain way and so they act on a certain way. Well, my point is the same thing with the word. We have a lot of identity issues that, are, that people are confused about because you have Christians walking around declaring and believing that they are sick. Why? Because that's how they feel. But that's not what God said you are. Right. Or Christians that are walking around thinking and feeling that they are defeated when the word says greater is he that is in you and that you are more than a conqueror. We identify with him. Our life is dead. Remember Colossians 3 said, our life is now hidden with, with, in union, in jo and joined with, with God. Amen? And in our situations, our circumstances, our checkbook tells us that we are broke, and so then what? We identify as broke people, but the word, and if we're joined with him, says we are rich, and that we are fully supplied, and so we're building on that, uh, and that's what we talked about last week, and I want to build more going forward, and John 8, 32 says this, and you, and, and I'm arrested in my spirit when I say those first two, two words here, it jumps out to me, Who, who's the, the, the subject here? Who's the person we're talking about? We're talking about you, we're talking about you. That means you are the subject or, or the, the, the whole idea of this verse. And so it rests and falls on you and what you do with this verse. This isn't about him. This isn't about family. This isn't about situation, circumstance. This is just about what you choose to do. But look what it says. And you shall know the truth... And then look at the response. The truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. Glory to God. Make you something. Not it might happen or it could happen. No, it will make it happen for you. And what's the freedom we're talking about? Well, let me just say some things here that uh, aren't meant to be mean and hurtful for people that are going through stuff, but it's the truth. I've never been excited about being sick in my body. Anytime you're sick in your body in any way, it is some sort of a hindrance. Sometimes smaller scale, sometimes larger scale. But it's not liberty and it's not freedom. When I have been in situations where I can't pay my bills and I don't know how I'm going to you know, put food on the table and where I'm going to get my next... I didn't have a sense of freedom and this is exciting and I love living this way. It was bondage. Poverty is bondage. Sickness is bondage. When, when I'm facing things with my children and pressures and circumstances in the world and in my mind and my emotions, all those things that are attempting to steal my abundant life, they're bondages. And he said, if you would know the truth... You would be made free of that. Amen. It would make you free. How? Knowing the truth. Praise God. Now, go with me to John 17 and verse 17. John chapter 17 and verse 17. We're going to start getting into some of this. 
Now, this also ruffles feathers, but Jesus ruffled feathers, so I figure I'm in good company. I mean, he just downright ticked people off when he preached. So much so they wanted to kill him. Throw him off a cliff, things like that, you know? And you shall know the truth, and truth will make you free. So guess what freedom is not dependent on? And this is, this is actually freedom in my mind to think this way. Freedom is not dependent upon if you get a raise or not. Well, I can be free financially if my finances would change. No, that's not, that's not how change comes. That's not what you need for change to come. Well, if, if I would have been left an inheritance, or if I would have grew up with a different last name and a different family, or if I had chose a different career, if I this and that, then I'd be free financially if my bills would change. If I, no. Jesus said freedom comes not with more money. Well, if my symptoms would go away, if the doctors could find the right pill, if the doctors could find a cure, then I would be free. Nope. See, but this is where we have to decide, are we going to go and renew our minds to what he says or hold on to our own feelings and circumstances and personal experiences? That's what people do. Because you tell somebody, uh, it's not your sickness that's holding you in bondage. It's your lack of knowing that's holding you in bondage. Because if you know, the automatic re ex uh, response is freedom. What is the key that unlocks the door of bondage? It's called the truth. Yes, yes. Knowing the truth is the key. And that's what he said. Now, until people will lay down their own experiences and their own personal huffing and puffing and getting mad at the preacher and the minister. Remember Jesus in John 6 preached a sermon and they said, oh boy, this is a hard thing for us to hear. This is not what we're used to. This goes against my feelings. This goes against what I think. This goes against my experiences. And they left him. They left truth. They left the per perfection. They left their help. Well, here we're preaching help and people will get so huffy and puffy and upset and think, how can you say to me that my sickness is not dependent upon my symptoms in my body? I didn't say that to you. He said that to you. How can you say, Pastor Mike, financially, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the things that have come against me. You don't know the, the hardships that we've been in. I didn't say that your freedom uh, wasn't based on those things. Jesus said it. And so the quicker we lay down our huffy and puffiness, Huffing and puffing like the big bad wolf. I'm getting mad. I remember Pastor Nancy told a story once. I think it was, she calls her Dee Dee, one of her top people that's next to her. I think it was her, or it was either the other lady that does the finance, I can't remember her name, saw a woman in church that hadn't been there in a long time. And uh, struggling, you know, and ran into her and she said, oh man, we've missed you at church, you know. Where you been? You know, everything okay? I'm mad at God. Huffing and puffing. And I love the response of the woman. She said, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? Huffing and puffing is only going to blow your house down. It ain't going to blow my house down. It ain't going to blow God's house down. And it ain't going to blow the problem that your house is in down. It ain't going to do it. It's only going to work against you. And we need to lay aside. Now, why are we saying this stuff? Because it's utterance coming up from my spirit. There's people that get mad when you say truth like this and hold on and say, you're up there criticizing. You're up there. No, nobody's up here from a, a, a soapbox pointing at you. I'm just telling you that Jesus is telling you, and you ought to be excited about this instead of mad, that freedom is just a knowing away. And it takes the pressure off having to get a raise and having to pay off all my debts and having to find a cure and having to find medicine. I don't need to worry about all that. I just need to worry about me knowing the truth. And when I do that, I will step into freedom. But what is truth? John 17, 17 tells us. Sanctify them through thy truth. What's he saying? We're going to be cleansed. We're going to be made new. We're going to be made whole through the truth. Now, what's the truth? He goes on to tell us, thy word, thy word is truth. Do you see that there? So when he says, you shall know the truth 
And the result of knowing the truth, which what is the truth? The Bible tells you what the truth is there. Thy word is truth. When you know the truth, freedom will come. So what's he saying? When you know the word in terms of what you're in bondage or things that are holding you down, the result will be freedom. I don't need my money situation to change. I just need to know the truth on finances. I don't need my health situation to naturally change or something to work out. I just need to know the truth and then the change will come. Amen? So we see here that the Bible says, sanctify through them, or them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now go back to John 8, 32. Now I'm going to tell you why most people aren't free. Because I know what the, the general consensus of people, maybe not here, but in the body of Christ is, I'm struggling financially, and I know the word on finances. On. Oh, you mean you can quote a verse? Oh, you have a few verses you can quote? That don't mean you know it. I'm sick in body, and you said, if I would know the truth, well, I do know it. I know Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, 1 Peter 2, 24. By his stripes I'm healed. I know the truth, but I'm not free. That's, this, this is garbage, or it's being twisted wrong. Oh, you mean you can quote a few scriptures? Well, I know a lot of people, Mark eleven twenty three. 23, Jesus said, you'll have what you say. I know a lot of people I don't work for. And they say, well, you said we could have what we say. Yeah, but he also said in that verse that if you don't, if you don't believe what you say, it won't come to pass. Right. Faith, and you know, and, and you say, well, I'm in faith. But, okay, but are you in your faith or are you in the Bible kind of faith? Oh, yeah. Why do people always want to stick up for themselves? Did you notice with politicians and people in sports, humility is a very lost art. Why can't people first just say, maybe, just maybe, I am the problem here? Not in a sense of condemnation, not in a sense of always beating yourself up, but why is it always this person in this situation and this circumstance? Jesus in John 8, 32 says the only problem is you just don't know enough. No, it's my situation. No, it's not your situation because if you knew the truth, it would fix your situation. Amen. It's a lot to take down, I know. But what does that mean to know? We've talked about this before and I want to expound on it a little bit. Remember it said we identify or we're one with Christ. It means we came in joint union with him. We became what he is, right? Hallelujah. Remember the peanut butter and jelly. The peanut butter doesn't just stay peanut butter. The jelly doesn't just stay jelly in that sandwich. They are mixed and mashed together, right? Hallelujah. It's the same thing when we identify with Christ. We become one with him who is the word. But to take it even further, when it says you shall know the truth, remember when Mary said about being told you're going to be with child, but she was a virgin, right? She hadn't been married yet, had not known a man. She said, how can this be? Seeing I have not known a man. And we know what that's talking about. It's talking about the intimacy in a husband and wife and the result of having a child. She said, I have not known. Well, that word known is the same word know that's here. What's it mean to become intimately acquainted with to the point of becoming one with that? Now go to Ephesians chapter 5 because I want to show you in what Mary was saying of what God's take is on a husband and wife in the, in, in the knowing and then you'll get an idea of how I need to know the word. Ephesians 5 and verse 30 says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bone. Look at verse 31. For this cause... Shall a man leave his father and mother, what's this verse talking about? Marriage. And shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be, notice this, one flesh. In the consummation of the marriage and the knowing of the marriage, like Mary was talking about, it's individuals, two parts, becoming as one. And that's the way God looks at it, as a husband and wife. They are one. They're not separate. They are one. Well, he said if you would know the truth or become one with Christ, join with him that way, that's when your freedom comes. Now, look what it says here in verse 32. This is a great mystery He's kind of talking about husbands and wives, but Paul's main point is, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Speak what concerning Christ and the church? Two, becoming one. Yeah. Joining with him. Well, 
When you become one with the Word, you become what the Word says you are. What we talked about last week, right? Well, what's a good litmus test or indicator if we have actually become the Word and know the Word? Like we say we are. That is the qualification for freedom. Well, the way you talk is a great indication of what you really know and what you really are. When you declare your problems and the despair and the discouragement and talk about the sickness and moan and groan, doubt and unbelief, the finances, this never works out, why always complaining? You are showing the world that you are not one with the word because the word never talks that way. And if you're the word, you talk like the word. So, wow, maybe, just maybe now, light bulbs are going off. Think, oh, now I know why I'm not free. My stinking mouth gets me into too much trouble. It's the truth. Jesus was the word. When Jesus was encountered with every problem, physically, demonically, financially, oppression, in his actions, in his words, in his attitudes, it showed us he really was one with that book. Well, what happens to us? Things go wrong and here we are, we're downers. Down, sad, discouraged, hopeless, stressed, worried, fearful. The word never does that. Jesus never did that. The knowing of the word would become, you'd become so intimately acquainted with it that when the word says that you are healed, hallelujah, no symptom, no doctor's report is going to get you to change what you're saying, what you're thinking, and your demeanor, how you're acting. It just won't. And now we get to see, and we're going to show you, the vast majority of people will never get into this freedom because they'll never go through that knowing process. But it's available to us. Amen? And maybe now people are realizing, whoever's hearing this, wow, I don't, I need healing. It's bondage, but I am sure not in the know with healing like he's talking about being. Go with me to Numbers chapter 13 and verse 25. Numbers 13, 25. This is not to make you feel bad. What are we making you feel bad? We're telling you about how to be free. Yeah. Now, in the process of that, you might find out where you're doing things wrong. Yeah. But man, I want to be showing what I'm doing wrong. Amen. I was so frustrated the other day. I was out, my, my friend working in the woods, you know, and I could not get my chainsaw started. Now, granted, I'm not Bob Vila. <laughs> and we all know that. But I've learned some things over the years, being a homeowner and going out in the woods and things and trying to, trying to get some knowledge. I could not get that chainsaw started. And I'm doing everything I think to know to do it. And I'm like, Chris, he grabs that thing, you know, and does a few things, starts it, and then tells me what I did wrong. Tells me where I was wrong and why I couldn't get the freedom of starting that chainsaw. I didn't sit there, how dare you? We laugh, but that's exactly what people do to me. That's exactly what people do to Jesus in the Word. You're doing something wrong that's not giving you the results you want. Truth tells you what it is. How dare you? Who do you think you are? You don't know what my money's like. It's the same exact thing. But now how stupid it would have been to be mad at him for showing me where I was wrong. I'm so thankful. Thank you for pointing that out. Now, when you're not here, when I'm doing this myself, I'll know what to do. Come on now. I'll tell you, there is also a lost art of being humiliated. There's a lost art of being correctable. My pastor told me years ago, he said, Pastor Mike, if you're going to go anywhere with God, you better make up your mind right now to be correctable. Be submitted to somebody. You know, I know people in life right now, think, I can think of them, it shouldn't be this way, their lives are completely scattered and messed up. And just one after another thing happens. And one of the main reasons are, they are not submitted to a higher voice in their life. They have nobody that can tell them anything in their life. Amen. I'm not saying open your life up to just everybody and anybody. You shouldn't do that. You should have, it says, blessed are they which walketh not after the counsel of the ungodly. You don't just go to anybody. 
but there are people in your lives that God's put in your life, your pastor's one of them, to show you how to live right, to show you the right thing. It's the same for me. I'm so thankful. I've been on the other seat, side of correction so many times for my pastor. And it hurts sometimes, and it goes down hard sometimes. It's hard to swallow. But if I get out of my pride, say, well, he's right. And maybe you have to realize today, I don't know healing like that. One symptom in my body, and I'm a grumbling granny all day. I'm grumping around and being mad. One little thing goes wrong in my life, and, oh, I'm a faith giant, but one little thing goes wrong, and, oh, everybody's going to pay for it, walk on eggshells around me. No, you're just showing you don't know enough. And if that's you, you realize that financially, and, oh, man, I get worried, and, okay. Now we see maybe why there's not freedom, because you've got to know it. You've got to become one with it. Amen? Numbers 13, 25. And they returned from searching the land after 40 days. Of course, we know God told Moses, send them out in the land. I'm giving you the promised land. It's a blessing, an increase. That's what it represents. It says, and they came from searching the land after 40 days, and they went and came to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel, into the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. And they brought back word unto them and unto the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. So they're just testifying of what they saw. And they told them and said, we came unto the land which you showed us and sent us and it flowed with milk and honey. This is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people are strong and that dwell on the land. The cities are walled. Now, I need to stop. They're not lying about their report here. How do we know? Well, when they did end up getting into the promised land 40 years later, what's the first city they had to go through? Jericho. Well, what was the first thing they had to get past to get into Jericho? A wall. And it says the cities are walled. So they're not making it up. 40 years before and 40 years after, that wall was still there. So they're just telling what the situation is. The cities are walled, very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. They weren't lying. There were the children of Anak there. There were already society there. And all these other people in verse 30, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses said, we are well able to... We are, let us go up and possess it. We're all well able to overcome it, verse 31. But the men that went up with them said, we're not able to do it, for they're stronger than we are. And then look what verse 32 says. They brought up an evil report of the land. God forever testified that the report they brought back was evil. Now, was it evil because they acknowledged the facts? There were facts, weren't there? What were the facts? People there. Strong people there. They went on to say they're large people when they, they got so, so discouraged they called themselves grasshoppers. Here God's people that were just delivered supernaturally are now considering themselves grasshoppers. Well, even if I am a grasshopper, if I have a God that can part a Red Sea, I'm not worried about giants. Amen? And they weren't a grasshopper, obviously. But anyways, the cities were walled. No doubt that's true. They reported on the facts. Well, they were told to report on the facts. Faith, get this now because we have a lot of squirrely people in the body of Christ. Faith is not denying the facts. Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, your bone is protruding out of your arm. You have a broken arm. No, I don't. No, I don't. I'm healed. I don't have a broken arm. No, I don't. You sound like an idiot. Yes, you do have a broken arm. Pulled over the side of the road, barfing your brains out. How do you feel? Wonderful! <laughs> it's not denying the facts. It wasn't the fact that God wanted to come back and say, everything's perfect there. It's just nothing, nothing that is an obstacle there. No, faith is not denying the facts. Faith is not putting your trust and belief in the facts. God called it evil. Why? The facts were such, but the truth, which was what? I'm giving you this land. What did he say? Thy word is truth. God was upset that they put their belief in the facts and not in the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, in every test and trial, there's two things. There's facts and there's truth. There's facts and there's truth. We see the 10 spies and all 2 million of the congregation, maybe there were some outliers there, but the majority of them all believed in the facts over the truth. And Caleb and Joshua said, stop! The truth says something different than the facts. 
And what happened? We had people that identified more with the facts than the truth, and they didn't get their freedom. The same thing happens to you and I. When you don't know or become one with the truth, you don't get your freedom. When you don't identify with healing, but identify with your symptoms, well, I'm sick, I'm this, I'm that, I, I'm never going to be healed, this is the way my life is. It's, when you identify with that, no, what it would look like is, that, okay, this is what my body's saying. The facts are my body is saying I'm sick. My body is saying that I have these, these symptoms. The, the doctor's words, they're saying that. My checkbook is saying that. My paycheck is saying that. That's the facts, but that's okay that there's facts. There's also truth. And what you need to know is that truth trumps facts. And your job is to have faith in the truth not in the facts. But why can't people get into that freedom? Because they can't get past the facts. People have become joined, married to the facts, right? Their attitudes, their words, their, their demeanor, the way that they are, demonstrate what they believe, right? Hallelujah. I want to show you in the Word, because you need to understand in your own situation, there are facts. And facts can be so persuasive. Remember the enemies of faith? Because facts, you can see them, you can hear them, you can feel them, you think them, the thoughts come, and the calendar can be factual. It's been this long. That's a fact. It's been this long. Or the calendar tell you, and you're going to have, I just had someone tell me last night, the doctors say it's going to be this long. That's calendar talking. But there's also truth that's talking if you want to listen to it. Amen. If you want to listen to it, you can have truth that will set you free. I want to show you examples of it. Go to Matthew 14, 14. Truth trumps facts. And I said that in our service last week, and when I did, bells and whistles went off in my spirit. Matthew 14, 14. People get so moved by the facts. The whole children of Israel congregation were so moved by the facts of the walls and the people there that God's truth just was swept right out of the rug. I'm not denying that you have a doctor's report that tells you this. I'm not denying you have a report that tells you you have such and such a disease. Or the fact that you have a, a financial report and the bottom line says a certain number that doesn't, doesn't work for your life or your paycheck. I'm not denying those facts. But my goodness, we are not to have our faith in those facts. And so many people, that's what they identify with, right? Their words show it, their thoughts show it. In Matthew 14, 14, look what this Bible says here. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages. Well, what's he saying? We're in a desert place. There's no stores. There's no place to cook. There's no wells out here. That they may go buy victuals, which means their groceries, their needs, get their supplies. So in verse 15, what's it telling us? There is a need. There's a need here. You have a multitude of people in a desert place, don't have food, don't have the provision that they need, don't have the supplies that they need. A need is being represented here. What's this talking about? Poverty, lack, a need, not enough, right? Can you identify with that in the sense of, yeah, I've had that in my life, or yeah, right now, that's kind of going on in my life. I, I can test, testify that that's a fact of my life. Okay. But Jesus said unto them, they don't need to depart. Him saying that is the truth. What's he saying? They don't need to go anywhere. We're going to meet their needs. Give them to eat. So the facts of the situation are such, and it goes on to even tell you here, it says, and they said unto him, we have only here five loaves and two fish. Now, Jesus just got done saying that. I wonder if the disciples thought, okay, he's, he's off his rocker here. Let's tell him what we have. And then Jesus said, oh, five loaves and two fish. In that case, send them away. No, he already stated the truth. We're going to give them something. To Why? Because Jesus, and this will go for you too. This will be good preaching. 
Jesus and the need being met was not dependent upon what was factually had. It never is. It doesn't have to be. But you know why you get all fretted and worried about it? Because your paycheck is what you factually naturally have, and that's where your faith is, and it's not enough, and boy, does that trouble you. Or your bank account says it, or your bills say something. But Jesus, so they're saying, wait a minute, we better tell them. We only have five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. I love it. Shut your mouth. Bring them to me. I don't care. When I told you that we're going to give them something to eat, that they don't need to leave, I never first asked how many fish there were. I never first asked how, asked how, many, how much bread there was. I never first asked, well, do we, does anybody have a supply? Never asked. It didn't care. Doesn't matter to me. Because the need being met is not based on the facts. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves of two fish, looked up to heaven. He blessed and break them and gave to the loaves of disciples, the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were fulfilled. They got filled. And they took up the fragments that remained, 12 baskets full. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. We don't even know how many people were actually there. A lot for five loaves and two fish to leave stuffed. But what do we have here? Situation, two things, facts and truth. Facts and truth. And what do we find? Truth trumps facts. Go with me real quick to Philippians 4.19. Now, I only have three things I'm going to talk about here today because that's the way the Spirit has me go. But this is regards to any situation you're facing. Philippians 4.19 He says, my God shall supply all your need. My God shall supply all your need. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Well, he said, thy word is truth. So there's the word. That's the truth. But what happens in our lives? We have needs that we can't pay for, right? That we can't figure out, that we have no answer for. Well, we have facts. The facts are your paycheck isn't meeting your need. The facts are you spent all your savings account money. The facts are the bills are way more than you have. That's the facts. But you need freedom. Well, how do you get freedom? You've got to know the truth, not know the facts. Not become intimately equated with the facts. Well, I'm broke. I'm so poor. I, this never works out for me. You know the usual talk of doubt and unbelief. Classic case, but guess what? Truth will trump the facts. Hallelujah. Go with me to Romans 4, 17. While you're turning there, I, I need to say this. I didn't know if I was going to mention this, but it zinged off in my spirit. Giving is a crucial it's the starting place in a crucial avenue into your financial prosperity. Right. Tithes, offerings, obeying your spirit. I'm, I hate to break it to you. Stop expecting increase in supernatural provision if you don't tithe. I'm just telling you, stop it. You're not faithful to bring your tithe? Stop it. You're not faithful to give offerings? Stop it. You're not faithful to obey what he said to do in your heart? Stop thinking that it's going to work for you when you don't have to work the word. It won't. But what does the truth say? The truth says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. The truth says, give on top of the tithe. The truth says, sometimes he speaks in your heart, no, increase it to this, or do this, or do that. That's what the truth says. Now, this is what the Holy Ghost showed me last night. I never said this before, saw it like this before. It cleared things up for me, which I need a lot of clearing up on things. People will say, I've had them say it to me over and over. Actually, the number one reason why we don't have two, three services on Sunday mornings is because I won't shut up about the tithe. And I'm just telling you, I won't shut up about the tithe. Uh, I'm just not going to shut up about the tithe. Did you hear me? I said, I'm not going to shut up about the tithe. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I know that the, the devil will give you thoughts, well, that's just a line pockets. No, 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 no. I started a church in South Date with, with me, Courtney, and Caleb in her belly. And nobody else had committed to me when God told me to do it. I said, yes, I'll do it, Father. In a town of 600 people. And took no salary for two years. I don't give a rip about the money. You're not my supply. <laughs> He's my supply. Amen. It's the truth. I don't mean that mean. So I won't shut up about the tithe. But the tithe, the truth says bring tithe to the storehouse. The word says give 
and it'll be given back to you. Every man purpose heart, he should give. We see these things in the Word. Obey the Holy Ghost. And I've had people sit across from me and they'll say, Pastor Mike, I can't afford to do that. Come on, come on. <gasps> come on you've had the thought. I know you have. <laughs> I can't afford to do this. We already know that's a lie. Why? Because truth told you to do it. Yes. Truth doesn't tell you to do something you can't do. Now, this is what the Lord showed me. Let's say that this represents a check for $1,000. Now, the, what you, the problem that you have had or people have had in the body of Christ is they take this $1,000 check and they already start allocating it to everything else. And then when the balance sheet gets to the end and the tithe says 100 and the offering on top of that is whatever you heart or what he says, then we say what? I can't afford to do this. But remember what a tithe is. A tithe is 10%. It's not an amount. It's a percentage on an increase. So when you already get this $1,000 check, the tithe is already within what is in your hands. So to say, I can't afford it, is a lie. Yes, you can. It's already in there. There's a thousand here, and a hundred's already in that. A thousand. The tithe's already in here. So to say I can't afford it, the facts of your finances and your bills may say you can't afford it, but the word, the truth says, yes, you can. And why don't people get set free financially? They're too identified with their numbers, their bills, and not the word. Oh, man, we love John 3.16. Let that one be true, but Malachi 3.10, It's the same word. It's the same Holy Ghost. It's the same Jesus. It's the same God. Amen. Romans 4.17. So we looked at finances. What about your body? As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So this is talking about Abraham, 75 years old. He's told you're going to have a son. Many years go by. And how many of you know that in the beginning, here we go again, a situation, there's facts and there's truth. What are the facts? You're 75 years old. You don't have babies when you're 75. And he gets even older, and this talks about when he's 100 and Sarah's 90. You definitely don't have babies when you're 100 and you're 90 years old and her womb is dead, right? Medical knowledge, facts. Doctors were saying facts. Physicians back then, facts. Family members, facts. Just life and experiences had facts to it that what? There's no child here for a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. But then there was also what in that situation? There was truth. You're going to be a dad. You're a dad, praise God. That was the truth, right? Well, what do we know? Truth trumps facts. What's our job? Align with the truth, watch the facts be trumped, and get into our freedom. That's, that's, that's the goal. And But we see in Abraham, before we get to this verse, that God, they must have thought God was doing some stand-up comedy routine. When he got up there and said, Sarah and Abraham are here, everybody. All right, let's give them a hand. Yeah, they're going to have a baby. <laughs> they laughed at him. I guess God's a stand-up comedian now. And then in 86 years old, they said, this doesn't happen. I'm getting older. I'm not getting any younger. You're not getting any younger, Sarah. Well, let's go find a younger woman. Let's go find Hagar. That's the way our child's going to come. I said, nope. What are they doing? Identifying with the facts. Identifying with the facts. That's, a, that's what we do, right? You remember when, uh, I know you remember because I tell you it all the time, but in that testimony of $2,000 a month, remember I tried to get a job? I was so nervous having a baby coming and when I saw the numbers. I said, oh my gosh, I'm getting paid zero from the church. I'm staying home with them all day. I can work in the evenings at nighttime. Why was I doing that? Because the facts were leading me. I was identifying with my facts. My facts said, I need to go find money somehow. I need to do this. 
Oh, how many people identify with facts? That's why they're not here on Sunday mornings. Yeah. Say, what about, is it wrong to be out occasionally every once in a while? No. But when it becomes a consistent lifestyle and you're not hearing the word week after week after week after week, that's a problem. Because the word says so. Don't get mad at me. That's what the word says. But we chase these things, you know, blessing the Lord, make the rich, have no sorrow. You do it your own way. There's going to be sorrow with it. And so here I was identifying with my facts and the Spirit of God said, nope, 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 nope. The church will suffer. That's what he said. The church will suffer. The church will suffer. Well, that's the last thing I want. I'm thinking, the church, what about me? Church will suffer. The church will suffer. I said, okay, I won't, I won't do it. So I identified with Philippians 4.19. You all know the end, end result, but I, I know the temptation to identify with the facts. And Abraham, remember, identifying with the facts, aren't they? Yeah, identifying with the facts. And so he gets to be uh, 99 years old, going on 100 here, and it says in verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to how my body feels. No. According to what the facts say. No. According to that which was spoken. Well, what is that which is spoken? That's the truth. So shall thy seed be and being not weak in faith. Now here's what we're going to see in this next verse, 19, 20, and 21. We're going to see a divorce and a remarriage. What are we divorcing from? The facts. Some of you need to go to divorce court and divorce your facts. What does that mean? You're married to them. You're one with them. You identify with poverty. You identify with sickness. You identify with your feelings. You identify with your situation. That's me. That's who I am. That's how I believe. That's how I talk. That's how I think. That's why I lay in bed at night and think about. You're married to it. You need to go to divorce court and get a divorce and then go back to the chapel and go down, walk down the aisle with truth. Marry that and become one with that and consummate with that. Amen. And here we're going to see it. Abraham went from laughing, Hagar, what's that called? Married to the facts, to being not weak in faith. He considered not his own body. What's it say? I don't consider the facts anymore. I divorce you, facts. I consider not my own body now dead, being 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. I'm divorcing that fact. It's a fact her womb is dead, and it's a fact I'm 100. But truth trumps facts. Amen. I'm divorcing it. He staggered not at the promise of God, the truth, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. What's that a sign of? Consummating, becoming one with the truth. I'm the heel of the Lord, regardless of what my body's saying. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in me, and it's driving out all sickness and disease, and restoration and health are coming to me. What's that? That's being married to the truth. I don't care what my finances say. Father, I thank you I'm walking in abundance and a full supply and I am rich and because I'm rich, money comes to me. I'm a financial giant. Money comes my way. Amen. That's what he's doing. I thank you I'm a dad. Praise God. Facts say I'm not, but who cares? Your truth says I am. And it says, being fully persuaded, verse 21, that what he had promised, there it is the truth. Fully persuaded, what's that? Joining with it. He was able also to perform it. Now, one more, and then I want to give you a verse here. Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. This is a big one that people need to... I guess a lot of people don't realize what guilt, what shame, what condemnation, what dwelling on your mistakes, a wishing and a hoping that the past could... You don't understand that that's hurting you. Paul said this in Philippians 3. We don't need to turn there. He said, Brother, I don't count myself to apprehend it, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward, pressing forward to the prize of the mark of the high calling. Right? He said, I reach for these things. I press for these things. But then in verse 15, he said, As many as are perfect, be like-minded. What's that perfect mean? Mature. He's saying, the mature mind in Christ that can move into the greater things. Remember, Paul talked about immaturity. And I said, I should feed you with meat, but you can't bear it. You need milk. You're carnal. You're immature. Well, what's the meat do? It gets you into greater. It gets the meat of the war. It gets you into experience more. He said, as many as are mature-minded, they don't dwell on the past. He says, I forget the past. Forget the past. Forget the past. Well, you know what's crazy? Is I had an experience in life one time, because this is what forgetting is all about, where it just doesn't even affect you anymore. I had an experience one time. It was the craziest thing. I was real small and I was in this real, really 
this is what they tell me. I don't know. I can't, I can't remember. I was in this really warm place. I had this cord attached to my belly. And I just was, I think, spinning around in there. And every once in a while, I'd do this and give her one of these. And I was in my mom's stomach, you know. And, and then January 6, 1979 happened. And man, the world I knew got flipped upside down. I mean, all of a sudden I saw a light at the end of the tunnel. And I saw these strange objects with these digits reaching for me. And all of a sudden I'm burst into this new world and I'm freezing cold. And I'm screaming my head off because I hate it so much. I mean, I am so angry and upset and just letting the world know I don't like this. Put me back in. <laughs> Traumatic experience. And you all went through the same thing. And guess what? Not one of you remembers it. That's called forgetting. You forgot it. You went through it, but you forgot. You have no memory of that. Paul said the mature mind forgets the past. I'm not suffering PTSD from my birth. I can't remember it. And that's what he's saying. Now, now, I know what people will say. That's impossible. It is naturally. But if the truth tells you to do it, it's laced with supernatural help. And you can do it. And I want to help you here real quick. Acts 9, verse 1. And Saul, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired or asked of him that he could have letters to Damascus in the synagogues, that if he found any of the Christian way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. This Saul that we're talking about is the same guy that wrote two-thirds of the book that we live by. He is the Apostle Paul. God changed his name from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul. But when he was Saul of Tarsus, look what he was doing. Threatenings and murder. One, one verse says he was wreaking havoc. He's dragging men and women to prison for being Christians. Innocent little children watching their mom and dad get yanked out of the home just because they love Jesus. Paul stood there at the stoning of Stephen, held the coats of those that stoned him, and gave approval and said, yes, get him. Can you imagine the guilt and the horror and the shame that the Apostle Paul would face and have to get past to do what he did? I sit in my office at times and I'll get bombarded with thoughts before I walk down there and come out here. Who do you think you are to stand up there, tell them about their lives, and he'll just give me the laundry list of what I used to be, who I used to be. But, praise God, we don't have to live by the facts. God has offered us truth in this situation. Look what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 2. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 2. You know... I'll just wait till I read that verse to tell you this because it'll help you. Receive us, Paul says, receive us. We, when he says we, that also means him. This is the craziest statement in the world. And we just saw that he dragged men and women out, wreaking havoc, holding the coat, proven he had the authority to stop Stephen stoning or to let it go. Wreaking havoc on the church, thought, slaughter, threatenings, prison, drag-offs, just wrecking people's lives. And he says, we, which would be included I for himself, I have wronged... Oh. When I think of wronged, slaughter, havoc, threatenings, approval of a stoning, dragging men and women to prison that are innocent, would fit the category of being wrong. But he says... I have wronged no man. Now, either God let the Holy Ghost testify about a liar, or he knew something. Facts said what? You have wronged many people. Truth, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Go back a couple chapters. Paul had a revelation that God had given him through Jesus about truth in the situation. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... now. Where a lot of Christians have gotten into condemnation and sadness, they think this is a one-time deal at the new birth. I am always and ever in Christ. 
It is a constant thing. I don't step out of Christ. And as long as I'm in Christ, I am constantly a new creation. And when I do something wrong, he gives me the first the, John 1, 9, the forgiveness of sins to get back into that place where I'm not even, that's not even holding me down anymore. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. What's Paul saying? The facts say I'm a murderer. The facts say I killed Christians. The facts say I have no place to stand here. The facts say I was addicted to gambling, drugs, alcohol, promiscuous living, suicide, depression, a terrible mouth, things I did, things I saw, things I participated in should not allow me to be up here. Those are the facts, but the truth is that man's dead and I have never, I have never, the real me has never done those things. And remember the story I brought up last week about the, the woman I was able to help set free years ago through the word? She had suffered terrible abuse as a child. And that abuse had gone into her, her, her older years, you know, and because of the depression, it, it, her body was messed up with it with weight gain and constant fluctuation and just depression, sadness. It was holding her in a place of defeat. And I wasn't trying to deny that happened to her or not have compassion. It's horrible. It just, heart goes out to people. But thank God there's truth that can trump those facts with supernatural help to free you from it. And she's telling me this stuff, and I'm thinking, she's looking to me for help. I don't know how to help her. She's telling me terrible things, and I'm sitting there just waiting. Any day, any day you want to say something, God. Any day you want to say something, God. And up from my spirit, and that, that meeting, is, I mean, this is years ago. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I said, what if, I said, you're here telling me this stuff because you're identifying with what happened to you. It's a fact. It happened to you. So, but what if, how, how would your life change and your attitude change, your thoughts change, your feelings change if it never happened to you? You wouldn't even be in here. You wouldn't be going through all the problems you're going through because if it didn't happen to you, the reason all the everything else happened is because it did happen to you and you continue to identify with that. So what if, what if it never happened to you? And she kind of looked at me and I knew what the Holy Ghost was trying to say and I said, Paul said, I never wronged a person. And God said, that's okay to say that. Paul lived in the mindset that I never did it. What if you got to a place of victory where that wrong, you know why bitterness and grudges? If you just let it go, no, that never happened to me. That hurt, I've had people hurt me before. But if I live on it, that never happened. Okay. Praise God, there's a supernatural help for that and healing for that. Now, you might have to respond to the devil and he's going to put it back in your mind, but you have to say, what would that be for that, for that girl? I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The new me was never abused. So the thoughts and the feelings that continue to come, the facts that continue are presented before me in a movie screen picture, you know, in front of my face when I'm meditating at night, laying there in bed, I have to do something. I have to resist the devil. You still have to resist the devil. How do I resist the devil? Nope, that's not me. I've never been abused before. I am walking in victory. I am pure. It's never happened to me. Nothing was, I was never wronged that way. Well, you say, that just sounds like a bunch of malarkey and just some hocus pocus. No, it's called, it's called truth. That the same way when God applied truth to a hundred-year-old man and said, you're a dad, he applied truth that's ridiculous factually, supernatural things popped and happened. The same way when Jesus said, I don't give a rip about five loaves and two fish, and applied truth to it, supernatural things happen. The same thing will happen with your past. If you'll adopt that I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, that I never messed up that way, or I was never messed up by somebody else that way, I'm new, I'm brand new, you can't. It disarms the devil in all that he has. Because every time the devil will come to Paul, he'd say, that wasn't me. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It wasn't me. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I'm guessing the rest of the words of that song are not good, but that's what he's saying. It wasn't me. That's what Paul was saying. It wasn't me, devil. And eventually, when you, when you speak the word, what is that? It's the sword hitting the devil. That oppression will go away. Oh, you're, you're nasty to try to, get, to tell me that. You don't understand. No, I'm trying to give you your help. And we'll close with this. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. I want to show you how to know the truth. How do I know it, Pastor Mike? How do I get to that place where I know the truth?
I used to see you kill Christians. It wasn't me. <laughs> Joshua 1.8. Here we go. You ready? This book of the law. What's the book of the law? It's truth. If you know the book of the law, what happens? You're set free. This book of the law, now here he's giving you what you do, shall not depart out of your mouth. What's he saying? First of all, put the truth in your mouth. Speak truth. Speak truth. Speak truth. Don't speak facts. Don't continually speak facts and what the facts are doing this. Speak truth. Okay? Put it in your mouth. And then it says this. Meditate therein day and night. What's it say? Immerse yourself in the truth that you need, when it's financially, you immerse yourself in it. And what does Romans 10 say? Faith cometh, or belief, or the knowing cometh by hearing the word. So the more you meditate on it, the more that becomes your reality that you can be married to and join up with. So speak it, meditate by hearing it, listening to it, mutter it, play it over in your head, have verses out. That you may observe to do according to all is written. Then he says the third thing. Do it. Do truth. Do it. Amen. Speak it. Meditate and hear it. And do it. And then look what it says. Then shall your ways be made prosperous. And then you shall have good success. What's prosperity and good success? Freedom. How do you know the truth? In your mouth. Meditate day and night, do it. That leads to freedom. You say, the facts are so loud, how do I do it? You speak it, you meditate on it, and you do it. Speak it, meditate, and do it. You'll know it, and it'll lead to your freedom. Amen? Just because you can quote a verse does not mean you're married to it. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, were you helped today? Let's pray. Father, you're trying to get us into freedom is what you're trying to do. You're not beating us up. You're helping us. So we thank you, Father, for all that you're doing, all that you've provided through your word. Thank you for freedom. Father, we're so grateful that we don't have to stay stuck. Father, I've, I've proven this to be the case. I remember, and you can keep your heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm kind of talking to you and him at the same time. I remember, thank you for bringing it to my attention, Father. When I identified with poverty and I identified with struggle and I identified in my thoughts, in my mouth, in my words, in my actions, in my demeanor, in my attitude, I identified with poverty. So much so that I stood up when the prophet called out that. My, I just wasn't there. And then Pastor Nancy the next day presented truth. And the day my finances changed, Father, was when I decided to stop identifying and becoming one and married to the facts. But married to the truth regardless of what the facts say. Speak the truth regardless of what the facts say. Do the truth regardless of what the facts say. And Father, I thank you for that freedom. I, this has been the case financially for me. This has been the case physically for me. This has been the case circumstances in life. Every situation has facts. Every situation has truth. And the truth trumps it. So, Father, thank you for the truth of the word of God. We're so grateful. Now, heads bowed and eyes closed. Facts might say that you're not good enough for heaven. Facts might say you've not, you're not churchy enough. You, you've not qualified as a good enough person to go to a place like heaven. That might be the facts. That, that might be true. Facts might say you've been bad. You, what the world would consider bad. That, that might be the facts. But the truth says... If you receive Jesus, you'll not perish but have everlasting life. That's what the truth says. So if you're here in this service with heads bowed and eyes closed, or if you're watching online, and you're not, not sure that you'd go to heaven, you're not sure that you are born again, you're not sure that you're a child of God, again, this isn't an invitation to join the church. You don't ever have to, I don't ever have to see your face. You don't have, I don't have to see your face again to go to heaven or step foot through these doors. But the truth says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the truth. Facts will say other things. Facts will say religious hoops, cartwheels, good works versus bad works, church attendance, all this stuff. But the truth says. But in that truth is also telling you that that's the only way to be saved. 
No matter what your feelings say, no matter what your thoughts say, no matter what anything else says, people, religion, churches, the truth says the way through salvation is believing and speaking. So if you're here this morning and you can say, I've never officially asked Jesus into my life because he's waiting. He, he, he doesn't just do it because you need it. He's waiting for an invitation. Is there anybody in the service with heads bowed, eyes closed, we're not going to embarrass you? Stand or not have you stand up, come forward, or say anything on your own. Would you just lift your hand in the air if you want to receive him for the first time? If you've already done it, you don't need to do it again. Hallelujah. If you've already done it, you don't need to do it again. Anybody at all that's never done it before? Father, I don't see any hands in the building of people that have never received you, but if by chance there's someone in here that just didn't raise their hand, or if they're watching online right now, I pray that they would not pass from this life till they make Jesus the Lord of their life. And if you say, how do I do that, Pastor Mike? You call on his name. It sounds something like this. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe you died and rose again and I'm asking you to come into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. If you'll do that, he'll do his part. Eternity will be yours. God will be your father. Reach out to me. Call me. Email me. Let me know. And I want to give you some information going forward that will help you leave to lead and live your best life ever. We praise you, Father. Let's just stand to our feet and worship him before we go. Let, put your attention on him. And if there's nothing more to do, we'll close. If there is, we'll do it. Anything else, Father, we worship you and praise you. We bless you, what you've done for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Love you. Thank you for truth. We magnify you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before you leave, don't forget there's Donut Sunday. There's also the, the clothes over there. We, we invite you to avail yourself to that. Love you. Appreciate you. Have a great rest of your weekend. Hallelujah. You're dismissed.